Spider Boss incoming. <laughs> I don't know if I appreciate your attitude right now. Oh, no, you said that. No, you're fine. Has anybody seen Underwater? Underwater? Yeah, it's a new movie that came out apparently. The, the oh, creature is Cthulhu. Kristen. Yeah, Kristen Stewart. Yeah. Is it? The creature is really supposed to be Cthulhu? Apparently. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Now I'm interested. No, I, I read it somewhere. I thought. Interesting. Yeah. I just saw the name of the episode. Really. People have all been freaking out watching the Color Out of Space Stan, Richard Stanley's color out of space movie and that he's been signed on to do Dunwich Horror next. Yep. Yeah, I saw that. Is it getting a wider release now? Uh, what was that? Is it getting a wider release or something? Why is it all of a sudden? Well, they've released it now publicly to oh, the theaters, do. so it's not just the film fest people. Too. That's what a wider release would be. <laughs> It was so good. Did you get to watch it during the Lovecraft Film Festival? Of course. Dude, it was... I, I even went up to Richard Stanley himself and said I enjoyed it. Movie. It was the movie that my wife, when she saw it, was like, okay, I get it now. Like, so good. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So they said, the great old ones who lived ages before there were any men, and who came to the young world out of the sky. Alrighty, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. Are we at a point where I start numbering the episodes, or do I just keep saying another one? I don't know, is this the first one? Until we get... Where are we at? Uh, we're actually on episode number 11 now. Never mind, take that back. Right? <laughs> I am your host, Nate, lost in time and space, and today I'm joined with... I'm Man from Lang, host of the uh, Whisper in Darkness YouTube channel. I'm Innkeeper Vase Odin of the Twisted Tentacle Inn. Uh, I am Nathan of Arkham Horror Images of Madness on Instagram, and uh, also International Strudel Competitor. Strudel Competitor? What? Pretty sure I said it. Did I stutter? Did anyone hear me stutter? No, you, I'm just, I, I've never heard of a strudel yeah, let's competitor. let's continue. I don't want to really make a big deal about this. <laughs> Not about me. <laughs> Side note, what's a strudel competitor? <laughs> Base, can I, um, can I talk to you for a minute? <laughs> All right, so tonight's topics, we have, um... A couple of quick mentions of the Call of Cthulhu RPG that I want to go over. Fantasy Flight announced the release of the Blob Ate Everything scenario. We also started uh, getting merch for the Arkham Horror card game. And I think we're going to also take a take a dive into the preview article for Weaver of the Cosmos. Along with uh, having a quick chat about the uh, uh, recent board game Cthulhu uh, Death May Die. 
But as always, we want to thank the patrons of the show for their support, and a special shout-out to worshippers Robert and our new patron of the show, hailing all the way from Finland, Yusi. And I'm not even going to attempt your surname uh, for the sound, for the fear of sounding like deep. Ah, uh, Yusi. I see it. Ah. I see it. That's a great name. <laughs> but, uh... But yeah, so what you guys been up to lately? Nathan and I got to hang out the other day. And what kind of Arkham Madness did we play? We didn't. We played Above and Below, <laughs> which was so much fun. I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. <laughs> well, I knew you were with the way you did all your voices for that Delta Green uh, <laughs> stream that you did. Yeah, I love games like that that are like storytelling and it you know just randomly develops a story. That... Hold on, just, just in case people are in the dark, let me... Let me prep them real quick with this. So, Ryan Lockett from Red Raven Studios uh, did uh, Above and Below, and he's also done several great ones, such as um, Near and Far, Eight Minute Empire, Rome, uh, etc. He's done a lot. Uh, the new Sleeping Gods game coming out uh, that's a cooperative game against these gigantic uh, Titan creatures. Uh, that's his his game as well, but uh, above and below is a game where you find yourself um, uh, torn away from your homeland, so you have to find a new realm. Uh, so you travel the world, cross the ocean, find this great area to build, and then there's also caves down below. So it's a combination of a worker placement game coupled with an adventure, choose your own adventure uh, game down below. Um, fantastic art, great gameplay, great replayability. Comes with a big spiral-bound book of lots of adventures, and then there's also some expansions for it. So, with with uh, Vase's love of both talking, I suffer from that malady as well, as well as um, just enjoyment for you know good games. I knew he'd enjoy it the other day when we got together for a game day, so I introduced him to that. And there's a lot of strategic decision making that's. Uh subtle but it does impact what you know every decision you make does impact what happens later which is really cool it was fun but uh have still haven't had a chance to play arkham since uh before the holidays i think and i'm gonna make sure you don't again uh because you're annoying me you know what's kind of funny is right before we started and nate took like I want to say three seconds to prep himself to start the episode to get into that professional voice. It's the same pause and intake you would do like right before you tried to eat the last bite of something that you're just trying to finish off. It was just like a pause, focus, intake of breath, launch at the attack. It was great. Thank you. What about you, Cameron? What have you been up to recently? I've been playing a lot of Jenny Barnes. Ran her through the witching hour a half dozen times, testing out various builds. Uh, had my uh, stream with uh, Tim Fiscus last weekend. We played uh, Union and Disillusion, which I had uh, bounced off of in single player and uh, did not like, but uh, we played it in... Uh, two-player and it was much better and we uh, actually managed to beat it so that was uh that was nice ran a call of cthulhu game for my uh thursday D group and they uh quite enjoyed it uh first time i've uh 
GM'd Cthulhu in in a long time, and the first time with the uh, the new seventh edition rules. So that was uh, that was good. And I was looking into the Silent Legions RPG, which is uh, by Kevin Crawford of Stars Without Number fame. Sort of a uh, sandboxy horror role playing game that uses the uh, the original D and D OSR rules, and then has a has the the uh, borrows the Stars Without Numbers faction turns, so you can basically run a sandbox campaign. It's funny you mentioned that. I was actually looking into that fairly recently. I had um. They had mentioned it on the Miskatonic University podcast, which is uh, mostly just about the Call of Cthulhu RPG. But um, I forget who they were interviewing. But the, yeah, he had mentioned he had mentioned doing like a D and D style game with with uh, with Silent Legions. So I was curious to check that out too. Yeah, I've I've read through this the Stars Without Number uh, faction, uh, the its world building and faction turns and whatnot, and it's quite. Uh, Quite interesting. I, I'd uh, like to see what Silent Legions does with it. Might be useful for for creating Call of Cthulhu campaigns and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Especially campaigns where you don't necessarily want like a a mystery to solve. Like if you you know you're looking for a more organic experience, that might be something worth checking out. Because Delta Green and Call of Cthulhu and you know games inspired off those systems, uh, they tend to the the scenarios tend to be structured in a particular way. Or is like you know you're you're essentially like breadcrumbing your players from scenario to scenario. Yeah, that's that's one of my one of my uh, the things I dislike about Call of Cthulhu is that I find a lot of the scenarios are not particularly well written, and uh, they seem to require a, a lot of work to sort of mold into something that's playable. So I'm wondering whether a sandbox approach might be a little bit a little bit better where you and that's sort of the approach that I've used in past Call of Cthulhu games where I just sort of throw out a bunch of leads and let the the investigators pick and choose which ones they uh, they want to pursue but how'd your uh, so how'd your game go overall you would say oh it went all right i made i mean there are a few rules mistakes here and there but that's to be expected the first time you're running a new system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. But uh, they seem to enjoy it, so that's uh, that's always a plus. Yep, yep, definitely. And uh, looking forward to, to playing some more, uh, some more Arkham. Still need to uh, play some of the more recent scenarios, but uh, I have been uh, trying to play some more rogue investigators because I feel like I've got a bit of a blind spot when it comes to ro- what rogues are doing lately, so playing Jenny was a uh, was very uh, instructive. What do you, um, what about the rogue class do you feel uh, you feel blindsided by recently? Uh, it's more that I just I just haven't played them. I don't play them consistently. Like I, I tend to play mystics a lot lately. And then I tend to play probably after that, I'd play survivors, then guardians and then seekers and rogues. I just haven't been playing where I used to play them quite a bit. And so I just wanted to get uh, reacquainted with, uh, reacquainted with them and then try out some of the new, uh, 
the new cards that have been released to see how they uh, they do. I was playing a Jenny Barnes Succeed by Two build that uh, looked good on paper but uh, didn't uh, perform particularly well, at least against the Witching Hour. It seemed to have just far too many moving parts to to get working on in time. But then I played a, a different build that uh, I believe it was built by Matt eighty eight that had that was using the uh, Scroll of Prophecies from the Search for for Kadath that uh, that performed much much better. So hmm. curious to check that out. Yeah, and it also played Moonstone, which was one of the cards from Dark Side of the Moon that I wanted to uh, to uh, to test out. Yeah, Moonstone's a Moonstone's definitely an interesting card that we can probably uh, get into in more detail uh, later in the show. But um, but Nathan, what have you uh, what have you been up to? Um, I've really been continuing my uh, exploration and um, pimping out of, for lack of a better word, uh, Fantasy Flight's LCG line. So. I've been working with Lord of the Rings more. Um, I talked to the people at FFG, and uh, for some reason they had blacked out part of the the sections of the rule sheets for each of the scenarios, and I think it, it always seemed to happen during that last part, which was the before you um, before you read this section. And I don't know if it was because it was in a slightly different color because they had like a red text they changed to or if it was a formatting or if somebody made the conscious decision to black that part out. Uh, I don't know, but uh, it was black. Half of them are blacked out and they have been um, restored so you can read the whole thing, which is really cool because I want to print out a I want to make a book of all of the the pages for that because there is some fun storyline in there and stuff. So I have a vision to print it out on high-quality paper, put it in kind of a green leather uh, book with some gold stamp and make that kind of a neat eh, talk talking piece, shelf piece, but also something useful for the game. Yeah, it sounds like something you would do. <laughs> Shut up. And then, um, of course, I've been working with uh, Marvel Champions. Um, the By the same token, people have come out with a lot of great stuff recently, uh, including some really awesome acrylic like cityscapes for the villain and uh, neat uh, hero boards that mark when you've used your power. And they've also come out with special tokens for Hawkeye and for uh, Green Goblin. I think there's like Madness. I can't remember the exact terms, but the two types of uh, tokens that you use for the Green Goblin, they've made those dual-sided. So that's fantastic. Always great work. Really excited to get those and show them off. Um, And then, of course, for Arkham itself, I just finally recently broke into the Dreamlands, of course, behind a lot of other people in the podcast community. And I've really enjoyed the um, the waking world and the dream world scenarios and the way they've built them. I mean, I sat down going, okay, is this just all in my head? Am I just drinking the Arkham Kool-Aid and, uh, and playing anything they put out? Or do I 
genuinely really enjoy it. And I sat down and played the first two in the uh, Dream Eaters box. And I was like, holy crap, that was so much fun. <laughs> so, yeah, when you have that visceral reaction, you know you're yep. onto something. Um, and then just last night, I played Kingdom Death Monster, uh, which is great. As always, uh, people died, which is the whole point. And uh, showed Marvel Champions to some new people. So, yep, that's what I've been up to. Very cool. Uh, I guess as for me, I've just been streaming a bunch of Arkham lately. Um, started a solo Akachi campaign through the Circle Undone. That's been a nightmare, for lack of a better term. It's weird. <laughs> Arkham Horror, you... Are you thinking of the right game? <laughs> so Akachi hasn't been doing very well? Oh, dude, no. I've been getting slapped. It's been brutal, man. It's just, it's... So, your wife aside, what, what, how is Arpent Arkham going? <laughs> Have you been enjoying yourself? What's been new? It's, it's, the, it's the classic problem that mystics have where, you know, you spend like half the scenario just trying to get the assets you need into play. And then, you know, you just, you run out of time. And it's just, one scenario was I couldn't get shriveling out fast enough to kill enemies, so I just, like, floundered around and died. And then the other scenario, I couldn't I couldn't get a means of investigating quick enough, so I just couldn't get clues fast enough and then died. And then played Secret Name, and Secret Name is just a whole different beast in and of itself, so... Um, so yeah, so that's not going as well as I think most people as anticipated. Um, and then other than that, I, I finished up the campaign of Patrick Carcosa with Pete for the League. And uh, I won't spoil how the ending goes, but needless to say, uh, the big H daddy... Uh, Did you just say big H daddy? Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, can't, I, I can't say his name. Pete starts with a P. <laughs> Duke starts with the D H Daddy. Yeah, you know you know who I'm talking about. The unspeakable one. That's crickets chirp. Anyway, um <laughs> other than that, yeah, I played a played another couple of hours of Moons of Madness until that game decides that it randomly wants to crash. That's too bad because it's a it was really cool, like watching watching you play that game was it had the right like feel, like that really creepy where it's not a bunch of creatures just running at you, but the the crashing and you you have a brand new computer that can handle these kind of things, so the game itself can't handle itself or something, right? Yeah, it's basically like the game, the way the game renders stuff. Um, you know, it'll it basically like renders everything in the map all at once, so it like causes a huge like load on your CPU, and it shouldn't. So it's it's annoying to deal with, but um. Did you just say it takes a shit on your CPU? Pretty much, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's really obnoxious, and I don't I don't think there's any means that I can do to fix it. So, so it is what it is, and uh, but yeah, as as you said, Vase, it's cool. Like this, the uh, the environment is yeah, the tone is perfect. Like it has that weird, creepy, like droning noise in the background, and. You're not, like, mobbed with, like, you know, references of H.P. Lovecraft work. You know, it's the the hinting of the mythos is much more subtle, despite the 
despite the name being an obvious homage, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's what I've been up to recently. Why don't we go ahead and dive into, uh, tonight's topics and why don't we go ahead and I'll just start off by, uh, rattling off some recent Call of Cthulhu news that's gone on. Um, last Friday, they announced a new Call of Cthulhu campaign that they're going to be streaming on their Twitch channel, um, the, the Dead of Winter uh, to quote the website here, The Dead of Winter is an epic story of intrigue, love, and horror set in 1929 across London and Russia. The strange reappearance of people long gone from the investigators' lives precedes the arrival of two curious letters, both asking for help from unexpected sources. The investigators are drawn into a series of events taking them far from home into the unfamiliar and potentially dangerous landscape of Soviet Russia, where friends may be enemies and enemies may be friends. So, so that's kind of neat. Um, it's authored by uh, Tim Weissman, who's a pretty prominent creator within the Cthulhu mythos. He, uh, he authored the Tatters of the King campaign, which is a, uh, I think it was a sixth edition. Yeah, it was a King in Yellow campaign for uh, sixth edition Call of Cthulhu. So that'll be neat to see. I'm curious to watch that. That um that starts February fourth at eight p.m. Uh, Greenwich Mean Time. So that'll be great for uh, listeners of the podcast that live across the pond. Uh, and in other uh, Call of Cthulhu news, the Gateways to Terror, um, three evenings of nightmare scenario pack was recently released in PDF form. Um, this. Uh, the Gateways to Terror contains uh, three short play scenarios for 7th edition Call of Cthulhu, which is ideal for uh, beginner players. Originally, the three scenarios were designed as a demonstration to give the games... Uh, uh, they were designed as gem- demonstration games to give a taste of the game's uh, motifs and mystery, investigation, and horror uh, for, you know, for shorter, uh, shorter play times and... Um, as for the scenarios themselves, there is the Necropolis, which is uh, set in Egypt. So the the investigators are sent to uh, investigate a recently discovered tomb deep within the Valley of the Kings. After uh, strange events of Tutankhamun's tomb being opening, uh, what's in the cellar feels like a recreation of the haunting, where a, a businessman is supposedly... Uh, guilty of committing uh, a brutal murder of his beloved wife in their family's ancestral holiday cabin which yeah pretty much feels like straight out of straight out of the haunting and then the dead border is uh basically your your quiet neighbor is secretly a cultist so there's some there's some neat stuff here especially for beginner players this is uh seems like a great way to uh get a get a game of call of cthulhu in within like two hours or so as the scenario premises are pretty pretty basic on their own on their own front. It's pretty neat, and it comes with pre-made characters that people can just jump in with. That's really cool. Yep. Yeah, and, and as always, too, with what's cool about Chaosium is that uh, if you buy the PDFs on their website, they they give you a code for a discount when it comes into print. So that's always kind of neat. Oh, that's nice of them. So you essentially get, yeah, you get like $10 off the book, essentially, which is cool. Kind of like how Arc Dream does their stuff. Like if you yeah, buy their, yeah. if you buy an Arc Dream product, you get the PDF for free. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah, it's a similar concept, so that's cool. Um, uh, speaking yeah. of Call of Cthulhu, 
we've been playing a Call of Cthulhu campaign. We have, yep. I've been uh, I've been running the Floatsum and Jetsum campaign, which is the organized play campaign from the Cult of Chaos, which is Chaosium's group of volunteer GMs. And that's been that's been a lot of fun. We've played, I think, four sessions now as of recording this episode. Yeah, and we won't give away how many people have died, but people have died. <laughs> people have died. Um, but we've we've had a nice cast of colorful characters. It's I can't wait till those episodes come out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, without going too much into spoilers, face. What did you what did you think about? Call of Cthulhu, because this is your first foray into it, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's It feels like a different game than Delta Green, even though the mechanics are almost identical. Um, between the, I guess, between the setting and then some of the, from what I've experienced, the scenarios, the way they're structured is slightly different. Um, I feel like um, it's more action-adventure, and with the horror elements... Uh, you don't get as much in terms of like the the type of um, I don't want to say pulp because it's not as pulpy as say Arkham, uh, but it's it's like in between I would say it's between the the pulpiness of Arkham and the super seriousness of Delta Green. Well, like, are you saying like home style pulpy or like how pulpy are we talking? Home style pulpy. Yeah, you know, like homestyle orange juice, like that bulky. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's not Grove Stand, if that's mm-hmm, what you're asking, mm-hmm. Ethan. Yeah. No, but it's, uh, but Call of Cthulhu is uh, so far really fun. I'm excited. I feel like you have more options for characters than Delta Green. It's Delta Green, you're pretty much going to be a government agent. And yeah, you can have side hobbies and stuff for your characters, but with Call of Cthulhu, it's pretty much you can be anything. Your career can be anything that was around during the 1920s and 1930s. So you can have, like, I was playing a, a zookeeper, <laughs> or not a zookeeper. Zoo I was a circus animal trainer, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, someone could be a reporter, and someone else is like a fortune teller. So that's the kind of thing that generally you don't have in in a Delta Green game. So it gives you a, a few more options to really add more flavor to your characters even though they might die pretty quickly, like they can still make an impact with not just their career, but you can give them, I feel like a little bit more personality or it's easier to come up with a personality for the characters. So I really enjoyed that aspect of it. The storytelling aspects were really cool and the chase scene was really intense. I really enjoyed the, the car chase scenes. So that was fun too. <laughs> yeah, I think Call of Cthulhu do, does those scenes particularly the best out of a lot of the other um, investigative RPGs that I've played. But as you kind of mentioned, Face, the the benefit of Call of Cthulhu is that you have a lot of diverse character creation options, but as, as the Keeper, that is a nightmare to deal with. I can totally see that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we had that in the in the Call of Cthulhu campaign, I, or the game I ran, we had a... What was it an author and a, an athlete? And so it was uh, required a little bit of uh, mental gymnastics to figure out why they would be together and why they would be doing this particular scenario. And just uh, coming from, from having played a lot of D&D lately and, and I had forgotten how lethal 
Call of Cthulhu combat can be, and combats tend to be resolved in a couple of dice rolls as opposed to D&D where they can drag on for half hour, 45 minutes to an hour, depending on what you're fighting. Yeah, narration-wise, like, when someone dies, now you have a new character that's jumping into the group, and, like, how did they get there? And I think some of the designers of Delta Green said that that's, that was the catalyst for creating Delta Green, was if you're all government agents, then there's always a reason why y'all came together. So, yeah, I, I can understand, like, from both perspectives... Um, the benefits and drawbacks of each one. Yeah, and you know, part of it is your player group too. Like, if you if you feel willing, um, you know, if you feel like you can you can tell your players like, no, you should probably play reporters if you're going to be you know part of Strange but True, or you know, you should probably play, uh, you know, like you should probably play PIs and federal agents if you're going to be you know, doing these particular scenarios. And the the scenarios themselves actually kind of suggest careers that the investigators build around. So it's kind of, I feel like it's kind of dependent on that too. But, um, but yeah, so that's, that's been a lot of fun. Call of Cthulhu is definitely, definitely fun for those, like, uh, those moments of like the, the investigator saved the world from the mythos. You know, just from a retail perspective, it's interesting because I've got people that come up to me, kind of like what Man from Lang said, but people come up to me and they're like, um, I think we're doing Call of Cthulhu wrong because like in my D&D campaign, blah, 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 but I just got my ass handed to me in the first adventure and we're only level one. <laughs> you know, And I'm like, yeah, so what you have to understand is that um, everything wants to kill you and also doesn't care about you in Call of Cthulhu. So, yeah. That and there's no bards. So it's kind of better. Well, I think some of the scenarios can be kind of uh, kind of tricky as well because I know I was looking at one and it said the the lethality of this scenario is very low, but then you read the scenario and it's just like one of the encounters is a bear, which a bear can pretty much tear up any investigator. And then the, one of the other encounters is a guy with a rifle who can pretty much one shot anybody in the party. So it was just like, what do you mean? This is not lethal. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like with, with investigative games, there's so many, um, there's so many things that, you know, when you, when you sit down and write those or prep, fret for an adventure there's so many things that your players are going to think of that you're never going to account for so yeah like you said man there's a lot of mental gymnastics that you kind of have to go through sometimes to get to get the players where they need to be also i i think the hardest part is for people who play D or other games i mean even playing arkham horror the card game you're used to fighting everything you know and in these types of games it's it's hard to transition into them and realize that running away is usually the best option and finding ways to avoid combats are usually the best ways to go about it. It's not really meant to be a like combat intensive type of experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but yeah, that's the uh that's the recent happenings of the Call of Cthulhu RPG. I do plan on eventually editing and releasing the episodes of the Floatsum and Jetsum campaign. When I get to it is uh well when I when I get to it. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's go ahead and move on to other news here. What um, what first of the Arkham files do you guys want to discuss here? Um, we did FFG did release a uh, kind of a quick little blurb about the blob that ate everything, and they basically just said uh, that this is supposed to come out in quote just a few months. So I guess we'll uh, we'll see blob hitting shelves at some point. I'm assuming probably this summer, probably after uh, the Dream Eaters is done. It would make sense. Because I think they, they did a similar thing with uh, with Guardians of the Abyss, right? Or no, that was released in, like, January. Yeah, there was something else. They, they do tend to plan them pretty well in, in relation to the cycles. And it's likely that we'll probably see Return to the Forgotten Age at some point this year, too. And they, at least last year, they announced... They announced Return to Carcosa in April, I want to say. So I would I would expect to see an announcement for uh, Return to Forgotten Age the next couple of months too. I'm really excited for Return to the Forgotten Age. Yeah, and then kind of uh, they didn't really announce it on their website, but on their Twitter they they mentioned that FFG teamed up with Hot Topic of all things to start selling T-shirts for their notable game lines, including Arkham Horror. Matt the bastard linked that on Facebook, and I immediately showed him what was up by ordering some. Yeah, I, I did the I same thing. I guess that doesn't really make sense. <laughs> Never mind. I mean, it's a black t-shirt. Like They have black? I, right? I could barely handle it. But <laughs> so, so now a whole new generation of angsty teenagers are being introduced to H.P. Lovecraft and the Mythos. Nice shirt. What? <laughs> I, I thought it was a pentagram. I, what is this? Elder sign? I'm not an elder. I'm cool. <laughs> We also had the announcement of uh, Blood of Balshandor as well with the new investigator. Yep, mm-hmm. with Dexter Drake, which we uh, we did kind of talk about with Matt on our last episode. Uh, yeah, who was that guy? I know he was on the show, and I know we like to interview people that make content, but uh, like, was he a writer for Call of Cthulhu? Or? Yeah, something like that. Matt, uh, yeah, I think he worked with uh, Steve Jackson to make Cthulhu Munchkin. Wow. Cthulhu Munchkin. Like, that's, there's, there's making jokes, and then there's, like, crossing the line, okay? You just cross the line. <laughs> um, real quick, what, what type of shirts do they have for this shirt line? Sorry to go back. They're just T-shirts, yeah. They're just regular but like, T-shirts. What, uh, what, what images do they have? Just, like, the generic... Arkham images that they I'd go check it out. I want the the Spider Mouth guy T shirt. They don't have that. Aww. Yeah, they don't have hot block nachos. Unfortunately, I know. I agree with you. So about nachos? What did you just say? Nachos, yeah. Okay, I want nachos. Yeah, you know the Spider Boss. At what time is it? It's seven fifty-two in the morning. I want nachos. <laughs> Breakfast nachos are a thing. I'm pretty sure. Sure. Okay. Somewhere. Keep it up. Whatever. Well, he is he is a chef or sous chef, so he would know. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. see? Yeah. You put some, sure like, eggs and some chorizo and some cheese. Chorizo. Boom. Breakfast nachos. <laughs> I love the way you guys say chorizo. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's chorizo. But it's funny because um, when I lived in Florida, wow, we have okay. this, this restaurant called Pollo Tropical, which is, like, Tropical chicken is the the translation, and we would laugh. We'd be like, "How do, how do Americans pronounce that? Polo tropical?" 
that's how people from New Hampshire would pronounce it. <laughs> Chorizo. Whatever. I get made fun of all the time for the way I I say foreign words. It's not of not out of the uh, expectation at this point. But moving back into our main topics, we uh, Weaver of the Cosmos. That's a thing. That's a thing that they announced. Uh, the Spider Boss is in fact incoming. Super cool. So uh, yeah, what did you guys uh, what do you guys think of the the idea of Atlaknacha taking? several encounter cards to represent. I think it's great. Yeah. I love Matt's uh, story from our, our interview with him where he was like running around with his doodle that he did saying like, check this out. I think, (laughs) I think there should be a special, um, deluxe edition or a special way that we can get his exact drawing because I want to, I want to play with that. That is my (laughs) new goal. That's my new goal in life. Matt, if you're listening, make that happen. We want, like, Arkham Knight's promos of the Outlock Nacho Encounter cards. <laughs> <laughs> the modular boss thing is such a cool idea. I, I really... Um, I was flabbergasted when I saw the, the announcement for it. I'm like, wow, that is something... Why didn't anyone come up with it before? Super cool. And so, you know, I incorporated that mechanic into a D&D game, and my players loved it in D&D. Just having like a boss where they have to, you know, kill different parts of them. So, it is it is a mechanic that I, I can't wait to try out and play against. Yeah, it has very classic like uh, like JRPG feel to it almost. Like I, I'm sure yeah, video gaming. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm sure I'm sure Matt had some like Final Fantasy influence on this. It feels like feels like those bosses where you have to like bash the legs in first to get at the to get at the core of the enemy, and then you attack the core, and then do it all over again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to kind of speaking of the the legs of Atlak Nacho, uh, let me pull up the card here real quick, and let's let's uh let's give this a quick read. So this is a X three health per investigator, three evade enemy. It has the ancient one, spider and elite traits. It is massive. Damn. This enemy cannot make attacks of opportunity, so that's nice. Uh, X is the shroud value of the enemy's location, and then it has a force effect that says, when you would evade this enemy, instead of exhausting it, choose an investigator at your location. This enemy cannot attack the intros and investigator this round. And it has a victory point, and it deals a health and a sanity of damage. So this is pretty interesting. I like the idea of evading a massive enemy, and like basically <laughs> like using yourself as a decoy... In multiplayer, that's that's a neat uh, that's a neat way to use the evade mechanic with massive enemies. Yeah, it's I like think. you're distracting it for someone yeah. else to get away. It's cool. Like, hey, hey, over here! <laughs> and then what's what's cool about that too is that they did, um, you know, as Matt as Matt said in our previous interview, is that they actually like did a special inverted version of the of the card template so that they could do uh, do the other legs, which is cool. But those those also have the same same game text but looking at the actual act and agenda cards it looks like there's going to be a decent amount of doom accumulation cards um the agenda gets plus two doom threshold per investigator and you don't remove doom from locations in play so i think it's pretty safe to say that we're going to have going to have cards that add doom to the board yeah that's usually an indicator for sure <laughs> yeah fun times I ex- ancient evils. i expect a lot of ancient evils gripes to be had in this scenario 
I, I think that they're probably going to do something similar to Ancient Evils. They've been experimenting with it with every Return To set where they'll like do a different version of Ancient Evils, and I, I have a feeling in the actual new sets they're going to start doing the same thing. Instead of just saying, oh, add that in, just, just create their own version of it. Yeah, it's also a f- basically a free card design space in the Return To sets. So that's a that's a thing to consider too. True. But yeah, and then moving on to the act deck, uh, it has this kind of similar uh, location thing to Pallid Mask, or if you've played Thousand Shapes before, the a portion of that um, scenario as well. And it reads: each location is connected to each location above and below it. And then the objective for the investigators is: if each investigator is at the bottommost location, they spend the requisite number of clues, which is three per investigator. So, so yeah, it looks like we're going to be walking around a, a great web, hopefully getting to the bottom of this. <laughs> there was a joke to be made there. I'm surprised surprised Nathan didn't laugh, but it's fine. He only laughs at his own jokes. Oh, yeah. right, that's right. Son of a bitch. And Man from Lang <laughs>, laughs at all the jokes. At least one at of least them. One. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, I think he was laughing more at the sheer situation. I kind of feel something doesn't feel right. I don't know. Can't put my finger on it. Can't put my Uh finger on it. Anyway. I've got some (laughs) wing references. That's what we need. (laughs) Yeah, right? Yep. That's a great band, by the way. They really are. Chocolate and cheese, great of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, but yeah, so why don't, we, why don't we go ahead and move on to the player cards that were announced in this article. Vase, do you want to read the Eye of Truth? I shall read the Eye of Truth in three, two, here we go. Eye of Truth, it is a Seeker skill card, five experience pips, very expensive to purchase. It has four wild icons and the spell and practiced traits. So it's a spell, so that means that, is it Marie that can use it? And it says, if this skill test, if this skill test is on a treachery and the test is successful, add that treachery to the victory display and attach the Eye of Truth to it. While attached, the Eye of Truth contributes its skill icons to all tests on copies of the attached treachery. It's always watching you. So basically, you commit it to a skill test on a treachery and then you set that treachery aside and put this on it. And then anytime you pull that treachery for the rest of the game, you add those four wild icons to your skill test against that treachery. Seems sweet in multiplayer. Uh, I'm skeptical about it in solo play. It's definitely powerful, but it's extremely scenario dependent. So scenarios with treacheries that have difficult skill tests and there's four copies of uh, that treachery in the deck and the deck gets reshuffled a lot of times throughout the scenario, those are going to be the best ones. But there are some scenarios where you don't reshuffle the you don't reshuffle the uh, encounter deck that much, or you you do it once, and maybe they'll have a tough treachery that only has two copies in there. That's going to be you know a dud card, I think. I mean, I guess you'll still commit it to the first time that you do it, but five experience points for four wild icons seems a little expensive if you're just going to use it for that. So getting the most of it is going to first of all, require you to really know your scenario. So going in blind, I don't think that that card is going to be very useful. But going in 
into a scenario that you're very familiar with the encounter deck, I think it would be a much better choice for a card. Yeah, I would agree. It seems pretty good in the Circle Undone campaign, where not only is the encounter deck being uh, you know, reshuffled multiple times throughout the course of a scenario sometimes, but um, but those hexes are just so irritating. So having one of these on like a Bedeviled or a, uh, a Racked or something seems really good, especially for... Yes. Yeah. So I imagine it's it's good in scenarios like that. It also has really good traits. Uh, the spell trait is really handy to have. You can you know combo it with something like Arcane Initiate or um, Diane Esperance. Uh, what's the, what's the other card I'm thinking of? Yeah, Diane Esperance. Um, I don't know if you'd want to use it with Diana, but um, why not? I think Diana is also. Ooh, with how would that work? Because you have to attach the card, so you're playing a copy. I think Diana says specifically event man from Lang. Is that is that oh, correct? Okay. Uh, yes, I believe it is an event. Well, that answers that question. Yeah, so. But, uh, but I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a target for Arcane Initiate. Um, I think there's there's a couple of other cards that interact with spells as well. But the practice trait is also uh, a thing that's now recently become of relevance due to the spoiler card that you revealed, Man from Lang. The practice makes perfect. Yeah. Yeah, it does, it does work with practice makes perfect. I think this is one of the one of the few if only cards that will let you remove a card from the encounter deck which is which is interesting i agree that i think it's it's probably a lot better in multiplayer where you're going to encounter if you've got say three copies of of uh rotting remains cycling through the deck and you remove one of them chances are you're going to encounter the other two if you're reshuffling quite a bit yeah definitely but you've got to you've got to hold on to this until you you hit the treachery you want, and you you still have to pass the treachery too. That's the other thing, like drawing a tentacle. Yeah, and you've got to be at the same. Like if you're in multiplayer, you've got to be at the same location as the person taking the treachery. So you it's 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 not uh, it's certainly not fire and forget. You need to you need to do a little bit of work to to get it to. Uh, to fire off, and again, I mean, there's always the chance of drawing an auto fail, and yeah, and it all for being for naught in the end. But the I mean, the ability to remove a, a powerful like if there's a an, an a, a scenario that has one particular treachery that's really gonna hurt you, then this is worth might be worth including just to deal with that. I agree a hundred percent, and I think it's also fun from a design aspect that they make you look forward to a nasty treachery. You're like, come on, come on. The one that I would normally never say, I hope this one (laughs) pops up. And then, and then I think what's funny is you're going to get in that mindset where you're kind of hyper focused on that or, or focus more than you should be because you've got that card in your hand and other things are going South on you. And you're like, uh, yeah, whatever. I'm going to do this thing. (laughs) Anyway, I think it's yeah. Think it's that's a good point, Nathan. Yeah, it it sometimes like you might just want to commit this to a test that's that you need four icons on. Like, like at what point with this card do you do you you know do you get greedy and hold it in your hand to hope to cancel a treachery for the rest of the game, or do you do you just use it when you need it? Yeah, I think that depends a lot on on who you're playing with in multiplayer. I mean, if you're playing with a mystic who can basically just out willpower pretty much any 
any of those treacheries, it's not going to be quite as helpful. Yeah. So you ideally you're, you're probably using this with like your guardian or something like that. Like if you're, if you're a seeker like Daisy or Mandy or something like that, you're probably pairing this with someone that can fight, but doesn't have a, doesn't have a good willpower or something like that. Yeah. And I tend to find the treacheries in this game, not, I mean, having played some, some of the Lord of the Rings LCG where, there are some extremely punishing treacheries in that game. Um, having something like this to remove them is very handy, whereas in this game I find that a lot of the treacheries aren't quite as punishing. So if you've got... Like, even if you have to eat one rotting remains a game, that's you're usually still okay. And then if you have enough willpower, it basically becomes... Uh, you know, uh, it, uh, it's almost as though the encounter deck is whiffing because you're you're able to pass that test easily enough. I was trying to think of a treachery that I would be like, man, I really wish I could get rid of this. And, and something like maybe Entombed from the Forgotten Age would qualify. Be just like, yeah, okay, I'm going to definitely get rid of this Entombed because that's, that is... Uh, punishing to a lot of different investigators and you can get easily and that's one of those treacheries that if it hits at the wrong time and then you draw a couple enemies you can be in you know a lot of trouble very quickly isn't there one and i could be wrong uh that accelerates the doom like ancient something you mean that ancient ancient evils yeah, I just wanted you to say it. That card sucks. <laughs> yeah, but you can't suck. use that. You can't use this. On I know that because it needs to. No, be a I know. Test. I realized that, and I just thought to myself, "What's a card I don't want to see anymore?" Oh, yeah, that one, but not going to happen. So, Nathan, are you going to be spamming "Drawn to the Flame" nonstop now that you have this? Because you said you're going to be looking forward to the encounter deck cards. Yeah, give it to me. Give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> give it to me. Bring it. Bring it. <laughs> yeah. Good, good times. I like that they're playing more with skill cards. I don't think that five experience points is the right amount. It, it is powerful, but it it's so situational that I think the five experience points could have been lowered maybe two, three, or four. But I do like that they're adding more skill cards. I think we're, we definitely needed more skill cards, and I like that they're playing with some of them, like All In and this one, like way more powerful skill cards. And it's definitely nice to have that. But... At the same time, hey base, mm-hmm. just just sorry to interrupt, but you bring up a good point. Instead of spamming something like "Drawn to the Flame," don't you think "Delve Too Deep" will actually be a little more, even better, slightly more viable with this? Yeah, or both. Just on your turn, yeah. Two delve too deeps, one drawn to the flame. Give Boom! It to who's me. your uncle? Give it to me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I do like that they're playing more with skill cards. I, I do hope that they go for some mid-level skill cards, too, and some more neutral ones that are that are more interesting. But uh, it's a nice start, I think. Yeah, we have seen a lot of level 1 skill cards come out over the past few Mythos packs, um, presumably to interact well with Mandy's deck-building restrictions, and I guess to that extent Tony's as well. But speaking of Tony and speaking of rogue cards, well... Um, the other card revealed in this article is the Sawed Off Shotgun. Uh, Man from Ling, do you want to read off the Sawed Off Shotgun? Sure. It's uh, a three-resource rogue asset that costs uh, five experience points. It has combat and agility skill icons, the item, weapon, firearm, and illicit traits. It uses two ammo as an action. You can spend one ammo 
to fight. Instead of its standard damage, this attack deals one damage for each point you succeed by to a, max, to a minimum of one to a maximum of six. If you fail and would damage another investigator, this attack deals one damage for each point you fail by to a minimum of one to a maximum of six, and it takes up a hand slot. So it has the the shotgun ability from the uh, from the guardian card, but without any uh, combat bonus. So if you are planning on succeeding by more than six, you're going to have to find some other way to do that. Mm. It's also interesting that the guy in the art is clearly holding the shotgun with two hands, yet it only takes up a hand slot. This is a uh it's another art inconsistency with the card game, like uh, Patrice's violin. But, um, but personal little nitpicks aside, yeah, this card is pretty interesting. Uh, obviously, this is a pretty uh, pretty standard choice for Tony, I would say. But do you do you see uh, do you see an investigator like Jenny wanting to take something like this man from Ling? Um, I don't know. I the card doesn't really. I, I think because it costs five experience points and there's there's quite a few different weapons that are available at that four and five experience point level. And again, my uh, my blind spot with rogues coming through here, it's it's not a card that I that I would typically play with. But the I think you'd I mean maybe you could do it in a Jenny build where she where you're using something like hard knocks and spending all of her resources to bump her her skill test to a, a a crazy amount. But, I mean, to, to succeed by six, you really need to be up by, on most scenarios, you probably need to be up by eight. Yep. Yeah, if you need sure. to, if you want to hit consistently. So that's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of uh, resources and, and, and or cards that you're committing from your hand in order to get, to get it up that high. But certainly, rogues can can do that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that it's um, as soon as you said that it's not a card that I would insta go to for a Jenny deck. But I know for a fact that they will have decks shotgun Jenny or some shit like that on Arkham DB, <laughs> where it's just like I want to build this deck with sawed off shotgun, and yep, there it is. I mean, it does work with it does work with sleight of hand, which the other shotgun does not. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. So you can pop this into play with sleight of hand, fire off two shots, bring it back to your hand, and and do it again. That's so pretty that's, cool. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Helpful. You can also uh, like use fence to make it cheaper. You can uh, Finn. Finn has a card that lets him search for illicit cards. Right? Am I? Uh, yes, I believe his smuggled goods does that. Yeah. So so there's a lot of pretty good options for getting into play or getting into play cheaper. Um, but this, this card obviously screams Tony just because you also have, uh, access to extra ammunition, I believe to, to put more ammo on, on the gun. Cause two, two ammo is a pretty big, uh, pretty big hindrance to this card. I think. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're not going to get many shots out of it. So you'd have to play it with, I mean, there's also, I believe when I was playing with Tim, uh, last week, he was using, uh, the, what's that card? I hate, um, 
contraband. He was using the higher level of contraband, though, to uh, to add ammo. So if you get contraband, you could play. You could start this with four ammo and go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems pretty janky, though. Contraband yeah. is like I've only really ever played that in Leo Anderson, with combination with the bar. But um. Yeah, I think he was playing it because he was playing the uh, Crystallizer of Dreams so he can stack it on there. Uh, okay. And yeah, like, I I didn't even think about Sleight of Hand with this card. That seems actually pretty cool. Um, yeah, is there? what about other rogue investigators, though? I don't really think other rogues are really interested in this card. Like, Finn could take it, and he does have three combat, but, you know... Uh, I think this is too many experience points for Finn, is it not? Finn is like level. Oh, that's four. right. He's zero to three. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, Finn can't even take this. That's right. Well, no, I think he can because it's it's illicit, right? I think his deck building restrictions allow him to take it because it's illicit, but he can't. Let he can't me take check. it because it's a level five road card, huh? Yeah. Okay. So, but yeah, I don't. Like Preston can't even take it because it is illicit, and I'd, maybe maybe skids. You can take illicit cards level zero one to five, so Finn can take it. Okay, but yeah, do do you think your skids would want a card like this? Uh, he'd want a card like this much more than he would want the uh, Chicago typewriter. I'm building a skids uh, illicit. Sawed off shotgun deck on uh, Arkham DB right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think Skids definitely uh, for his like high level weapon. This is probably ideal for him. It's a lower cost, so it keeps his resources uh, higher than if he were to get the Chicago typewriter, and he wants more resources so he can get more actions. Uh, and it only takes one hand slot, so he can have another weapon or lock picks in his other hand. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, I think it's a good one for Skids for sure, and he can benefit from the from the Guardian skill cards and, and combat boosting cards to help him succeed by two or more. Yeah, but I mean to to I mean if you're just succeeding by two or more, you're you're not really getting the the most out of this card. Like this is a boss killer here. Oh, clearly, yeah. If you want to be going up against like Silas Marsh or somebody like that, and. And basically gunning him down in one shot. So to to get to plus eight with skill cards alone is going to be tough. That's fair. That's fair. So I think you'd need you'd really need one of those those like a Jenny who can pile in the resources, or or t- probably Tony because he can get resources from his bounties. Yeah. In yeah. order to pay to pay for this thing, since you're not getting any bonus off the bat <clears throat> is it me or it looks like Preston is on the artwork it's definitely not Preston no nope. it's not Preston why do you say it's definitely not I mean it's illicit traded he can't even take it I know it. that's why I was thinking it was interesting why do you say it's not Preston because he's got a beard oh does he I thought it was blood oh it is a beard yeah you're right maybe it's that salesman guy does he have a beard I was about to say blood beard face you feel okay <laughs> yeah yeah, well, the thing mind. I don't like about Portland are all the hipsters with blood on their face. <laughs> where do you live that you see this? Uh, it's the place you live where you see uh, blood for beards. I don't 
think I want to go back to Portland now. I think we need Nate to come back to Portland. Well, when Nate was here, <laughs> speaking of blood, when Nate was here, he did have some blood. Uh, he had a pig's blood ice cream. Oh, I did. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was good. The other thing worth noting about Sawed-Off Shotgun is it's pretty light on icons for a five for a level five card. Yeah, it only has a combat and agility icon. So you're definitely not, like, you are playing this card if it is in your hand. You're yeah. definitely not committing this to a skill test. I think the, the reason for it is it would have probably been too strong if they added too many icons. Because it's, it's already a pretty powerful attack at a, at a three cost. And it only takes one hand slot, which is it's pretty important for most most big weapons like that take two hand slots or more. Like the flamethrower. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. I, it's definitely a card I want to try out in Tony for sure. I think he, he and maybe Skids. I think are the two most likely candidates for this card. But let's um, let's do a little bit of backtracking, guys. I know we uh, been kind of busy. We we chatted with Matt. And we've kind of chatted about um some of the player cards released in the previous Mythos packs. But what are what are some cards that jump out at you guys from from Thousand Shapes of Horror? Do you guys have that list handy at all? I can in like two shakes of a lamb's tail. There we go. I mean, so card that jumps out to me is Swift Reload. Uh, Tetsuo Mori is really cool, and I think uh, I think Otherworld Codex, depending on the campaign you're playing, can be also really good. Um, this this to me seems like a a TCU card, as you can it it affects like things like Terror in the Night and. Um, Fate of All Fools, along with the the hex cards, in addition to like all the witches and the silver twilight enemies that you can encounter. And there's there's like three copies of most of those cards in the deck, so I think I think that Otherworld Codex could be could be useful in certain builds of either Daisy or Mandy going through that campaign. Two experiences, kind of a lot to ask for, but I think that card's pretty pretty interesting. Uh. Yeah, what are, what are some cards that jump out to you, Man from Ling? Uh, Tetsuo didn't make a very good first impression on me, but uh, since then I've, I can see where he would be very handy in uh, Tommy, for sure, because he's the type of ally that you want to kill off very quickly so you can get his, uh, his item search going, and if Tommy kills him, and he can dump him back into his deck and get an item out of it. That's really good. He seems too noble for his own good. What else is there? Like fool me once is is similar to uh, is similar to the one we just looked at that deals with treacheries. Uh, except it just discards it. You just cancel it. It's much cheaper too. Mm-hmm. I played around with Gregory Gree a little bit to see how he was, and he was he was okay. I don't know if he's He's better than than a lot of the the rogue allies that that uh, there are, that are already out there. But he is nice if you can get him out early enough and you can pass some skill tests. He's nice that you don't have to. Uh, you can use him multiple on multiple skill tests each turn, so you can you can uh, empty him of his resources very quickly. And you don't necessarily have to succeed by three every time. You know, just succeeding by one is often enough. Right, yeah, because you just kind of dump like one resource. But I think in the end, you're only netting about six resources. So, 
I tried him with uh, um, calling in favors to see if you can if you could get him out multiple times per game, but I think he's a little too. I don't think his ability is worth worth it in the end. Yeah, I think rogue allies particularly they have so much uh, competition between Leo Jaluca and Lola Santiago that it it can feel difficult to try to find space for these other lesser lesser played allies. Mm. Um, just real quick, Vase, do you have these cards pulled up either in person or on, um, on the screen in front of you? Um, to be honest, I'm reading through them right now to pick my favorite. Okay. Cause I'm seeing brute force and versatile or versatile. Um, I can't tell though in brute force if that's a beard or blood on his face. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure for versatile, it is blood on his face, but it might be a beard. So if you could help me out, that'd be great. Thank you. Uh, on a serious <laughs> note, for once, uh, you can timestamp this because it won't happen again. I actually kind of like Scrounge for Supplies because, especially in a deck that, you know, a starter deck, especially, you know, of course, you're going to have several times you're like, oh, I wish I still had this. I wish I still had Look What I Found, or maybe you want to get a Lucky back or whatever. But to, to go back in your discard pile and get whatever you need and add it to your hand is a nice. Uh, just a nice kind of fail safe or, or even combo generator. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Scratch Source Supplies is really sweet. It's definitely one of those cards you don't want to see early on in the game. Oh, and I also I also should say exactly what it does for our listeners. I apologize. Choose a, a level zero card in your discard pile. Add the chosen card to your hand uh, in case anyone didn't know what that one does. I apologize. Yeah, and it, co- it, it doesn't cost anything either, so... You're you're essentially trading this card for a card in your discard pile, which is definitely a trade I think you're going to take more often. Yeah, and not all the time. I'm not saying it's like uber good, but I have distinctly been like, oh, crap. Now I really want this one thing to do this, and they're both copies of it are in my discard pile. So now I've got to burn through the rest of my deck if I really need to get to it, like um, logical reasoning to get rid of uh, something that's in front of somebody that's basically doing them in or to heal sanity or whatever yeah and there's a lot of um there's already a lot of recursion stuff in survivor too so it really it plays around with a lot of that stuff too um you know this can get back like you said like a lucky it can um you know it can get off class assets too unlike resourceful which is cool so if you're playing like pete or something you can get back some of your off class cards and i'm curious what do you all think of ethereal form and that's the evade, add your willpower value to your skill for this evasion attempt. If you succeed, disengage from each other enemy engaged with you. And for the remainder of the round, you are ethereal. Enemies cannot engage or be engaged with you. You cannot attack or deal damage to enemies. I mean, it definitely gives you that kind of slip away feel. Uh, but I don't know if I'm reading too much into it. I think it's pretty cool. It's cool with Luke because you can... You can use it at a connecting location, and so say if there's like an enemy at a connecting location, and you need to investigate that location, you can you can use this first, like evade the enemy ahead of time, and then go into the location and investigate, which is pretty neat. Yeah, and he can do it with Drawn to the Flame as well, like any of those that would cause him to be engaged with an enemy, because he plays events from his. He can play events as though he was engaged. So if you play this one, he can evade all the enemies, and then he doesn't have to worry about 
being engaged mm -hmm. with them. Yeah, it's also nice for for multiplayer too, as with Luke, because you can you can be the seeker that does that. Mm -hmm. It's got a cool theme too. I really like the theme. Uh, am I reading this wrong? Uh, I think people might make a mistake with this. You do it. You evade. You go ethereal, and then I think someone might try to like shrivel or do something else. But the very last thing it says is you cannot attack or deal damage to enemies. So that would negate the damage from any, even though it's a, you know, a magic spell of sorts. I don't think you could do anything else. It's just purely like GTFO or or safeguard yourself for just mm -hmm. a little bit. What are you guys' thoughts on... Oh, yeah, it's, Go ahead. oh no, I was just, yeah, I was just going to say that this card is definitely a Luke card. It's also, um, you know, you could play this with other investigators like Akachi or... Um, or even something like uh, like Agnes, who doesn't have a good means of evasion, and you kind of need that like that one evade per scenario, and this could be like a good option for you. Blinding light. Yeah, everyone plays that, right? <laughs> it also buys you time to to set up. You could be like, boom, do this spell, evade, go ethereal, and now you can be like shriveling and Saint Cuthbert's key or whatever you're gonna put out. You know, you could use that as a round to kind of reorient yourself without having to fear things, getting an opportunity visit, uh, of attack or what, or harrying you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point, too. Tactical Nathan. I don't think I've ever been called that before. Well, that's the And it won't one. happen again. Base, sending anthrax. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, what, have you guys had a chance to play with this other dude from, um, from the Rogues, Gregory Gry, the Nutcracker? The Nutcracker. Yeah, Man from Lang said he had yeah. played with him a little uh, bit. I must have missed that. Yeah, he seems interesting. Yeah. Hmm. It's like a... What is that? Not All In. What's that other one? Watch This. Uh, watch This, right? Yeah. Did you call the Muckraker a Nutcracker? The nut, The Nutcracker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is. That's all right. When people, people can't say things from... Uh, Panama correctly, I get all flustered. So you're totally good. <laughs> <laughs> cool. It's pretty decent set actually. Yeah, there's some cool cards. This is the first time seeing these cards. But yeah, why don't we uh why don't we go ahead and look at Dark Side of the Moon too? Um what are what are some standout cards for you guys? I know uh we, we talked a little bit about practice makes perfect when we talked about uh the Eye of Truth. So that, that's a neat card. Th these are, uh, these type of like search the top nine cards are always cards I really find interesting because they're always, they're always cards that you kind of keep in the back of your mind and then, you know, a, a few packs later and there's more targets for them, they become a lot more interesting to build with. Um, other cards of note, uh, the, the 35 Winchester is a card I want to like, but I know I probably shouldn't. And the the spectral razor is sweet. So, going off the um, going off the conversation with ethereal form, this is kind of like the fight version, but it can deal three damage, which is excellent. You know, the weird thing is, it's the first card that made me think of Magic: The Gathering, and there have been a lot of cards that I'm sure are similar, but this one, I'm just like, this looks like a Magic: The Gathering card to me. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Yeah. Is it is it the art? art yeah, concepts. I kind of get that feeling too. Yeah. Catchy, she like looks like a planeswalker almost in that art, like specifically. 
So I can I totally see what you're getting at there. Yeah, I uh, I think the Winchester, you might be able to do something with it in a Diana Stanley if you have some sort of chaos token manipulation. Or maybe even, uh, since it's level zero, you could try it in uh, in Jim. Yeah. So you could try to maximize the number of, uh, of those tokens you're going to pull to maximize the amount of damage you can do. Because it's got lots of ammo, and it does give you the plus two combat bonus as well as plus two damage if you reveal one of those tokens. So if you're able to reveal a bunch of them, then that would work. I really like safeguard because that's like a, that's like shortcut for all the, uh, the guardians who don't have access to seeker. Yeah. Safeguard is cool. I think you could get a lot of, uh, in multiplayer, you could get a lot of, uh, a, a lot of use out of that. Um, I like spectral razor as well. And of course the moonstone, which, uh, I played with in a, in the uh, Jenny Barnes deck that was using, uh, the scroll of prophecies to, uh, to both draw it and discard it so you could get the get it into play. Uh, the one card I'm, I'm not particularly keen on is Sharp Vision. It's probably okay in Min, but I think it's really not great in... Uh, really? In most survivors. Most survivors have below average to average intellect as it is, so trying to succeed by two on a test like that is going to be pretty tough for them. Mm-hmm. Even if you're getting two... Another two. Another two icons. Like hmm. bringing a two up to a four is not going to get you well, succeeding by two all that often. Maybe this card by itself. It is good in Mandy, yeah. though. This card by itself, maybe not the best, but if you combo with some other ways to boost a little bit, you know. But I see your point. And uh, Lucid Dreaming, we've seen that before. But, I mean, that's good with if you need a second copy of something or one of the uh, the myriad cards. Three aces, the the ability is really powerful. Um, you get the auto succeed, and then uh, three cards and three resources. But you need all three copies to to pull it off. So that's not something that you've really got to build around it if you're hoping to trigger that. But yeah, there's a lot of great cards mm-hmm. in the deck. Uh, the two that I just wanted to mention real quick. Well, first of all, I think there should have been a quote on this upgraded burglary, and it should have been steal yourself. Spelled S-T-E-A-L, but that's just me. Um, uh, I like Safeguard because I think it gives the the opportunity for some interesting shenanigans, moving people around the board and keeping the, keeping the Guardian next to the Seeker or whoever needs the Guardian close by. Uh, I think that's kind of a neat action compression. So... No, there's, it, it's neat when you open a pack and you look at the cards and you're like, I kind of want to play with a lot of these. You don't always get that when you open a pack, and this one has a lot of fun ones. Yeah, Safeguard is really interesting. So so let me ask a quick rules question while we're on the topic of Safeguard. It, it lets you move multiple times as long as the... Uh, hey, Nate, can you, can you read the card out for our listeners? Absolutely. It is a uh, two-experience, two... Two cost uh, guardian asset with the talent trait. It has a willpower and an agility icon, and then it has a reaction that says, "During another investigator's turn, you can exhaust safeguard for the remainder of that investigator's turn. As they move from your location to a connecting location, you may move to that location as well." Keep an eye out for any trouble, she told me. I rolled my eyes. There was always trouble. Sorry, I had had to. That's a great quote. 
Yeah, just imagine like some like, you know, smooth saxophone jazz noir stuff playing in the background. Maybe Phil Silver. But um or, <laughs> or whatever the hell his name but, was from Parks and Rec. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but the, but correct me if I'm wrong. This this card can let you move multiple times, right? If the person that you uh, that you target with it moves additional times, so like if you're playing with an Ursula or something, and they move and investigate, and then move investigate again, you can move twice for yeah. free. Yeah, so that's and it's that's non-un- cool. It's non-unique, so you can have two copies out. So you could pick two different investigators if necessary. Oh, uh, that's cool. So this is a great way for guardians to get a lot of action compression, depending on the scenario, and how they how they play with other investigators. It's almost they're passing you along like a, a rugby or football. It's like, all right, take the uh, take the person over here, take them over here, do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are your um, what are you guys guys's thoughts on extensive research? The the ten cost uh, seeker event card. When I first saw the cost of this thing, I was like, what? what? <laughs> And then you read the card. But uh, it's all right. Oh, he says he reads the card and then mm. doesn't proceed. To yes, the it's card. Uh, it is. Cost too ten. much blood on the face. Too much blood. Yeah, I think that one. <laughs> yeah, Mandy has blood on her face in this one. Uh, it's an uh, insight traded uh, event, 10 cost, one experience point. It has two uh, book pips. God, why am I calling them book pips? Uh, reduce the cost to play extensive research by one for each other card in your hand. Discover two clues at your location. So it's a free discover clues um, or discover two free clues, but it's really expensive. And if you're if you're Mandy, I guess you're going to be okay. But uh, still paying, let's say you have five cards in your hand, you're paying five resources to play this. To get two clues, it seems, I don't know, it seems a little expensive still. How many times are you actually going around with eight cards in your hand to actually make this worthwhile? I think it's, I think it's meant for one yeah. particular, one or two particular decks where you're maximizing your hand size with something like Dream Enhancing Serum from from Thousand Shapes of Horror. So you're, your hand, so you're basically paying this for for free. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's intended for decks that are like you're not paying for this if you've Clearly. got five cards in your hand. <laughs> he, I mean, mm-hmm. you're 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 playing a min deck that has ten cards in hand or close to that. Going for higher education. Uh, I'm sure there's a Mandy deck that could do the, maybe the same thing, and you just have ten cards in your hand and you play this for two clues for free. That's. Mm-hmm. It also, I believe, it. This also goes in Joe Diamond's hunch deck. So if you can get him up to a decent hand size and then he gets to reduce the cost of this by one so you could play it for say if you've got seven cards in your hand you'd play it for two you play it for one yeah or one yeah his his ability reduces by two right so yeah so Correct. it'd be yep. so you could play this for 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 relatively cheap in a joe deck if you were if you were good on uh, keeping your hand size up. that's a good point yeah you could use a what's that ally lab assistant that lets you draw two cards and maximizes your hand size by two. Yeah. So yeah, there are seeker cards that you could use to to get the most out of uh, extensive research, for sure. Um, three aces is interesting. I'm I'm not a big fan of these kind of like Voltron style uh, type of cards where you have to like 
acquire all the pieces and then you know fire it off at once and then hope you succeed because i just i just imagine where um you know you get like two of these in your hand and then the other one gets discarded by some stupid treachery or something so you're just stuck with these like less than mediocre cards in your hand it's just uh, yeah i don't know what do you guys think about three aces well, there's lots of stuff that can go wrong with it, right? I mean, you, you first you need to draw all three, which is going to take a lot of time unless you've got, you're playing things like Lucid Dreaming to, or you've got some way to, to search to grab multiple copies of this. Um, and then, of course, depending on the campaign you're playing in, if you're playing in the Dunwich Legacy, I mean, chances are you're going to lose a copy to a discard at which point you've got two wild icons in your hand. And then you've just got to resist the temptation to commit it to something. So if if you've got a do-or-die test, I mean, you've got the choice to make. Do I do or die, or do I hold on to this and save, you know, hold and then hopefully play all three so I can draw three cards and gain three resources? Mm-hmm. Right, And then even though, I mean, you do get an auto-succeed, but, I mean, it depends on the skill test, right? I mean, maybe it's a test you're already going to beat. You know, Yeah, you, like, you presumably need... you would use this on a test that you have, like, no way of passing otherwise. Like, I would assume that's kind of the idea behind a card like this. And, yeah, you have to, like, you have to build your deck specifically to be able to quickly access all three of the aces and... um yeah, like you said, like you the the reward of this card is really contingent on what test you're passing. Like is this killing a boss, is this just getting a clue, or is it just a wild icon in your hand? Which I feel like most of the time it is. And it also it it doesn't interact well with um with weaknesses like drawing the sign or the um the more recent treachery cards from the dream eaters that reduce your hand size by three. So there's a lot that can go wrong with trying to, um, you know, sculpt these into your hand. And let's not forget that you're already committing three wild icons to the test. So, I mean, mm-hmm. to, you're yeah, already that too. getting a nice bonus for it to auto-succeed. I mean, sure, that's nice, but you probably were going to succeed anyway. Yeah, and and barring the, the succeeding on the test, all you really get is like... So, the cards back so you you go card neutral and then you get three mm-hmm. resources which is just feels kind of yeah. lackluster when you could play like a watch this and get like six resources yeah off of one card so yeah, so yeah I'm, I'm not a i'm not a huge fan of cards like this Aww. in general Sad. i'm with you on the i mean for the card <laughs> like, um. like, like i know i know uh like open gate kind of suffers from this yeah. too but open gate you can you can more easily manipulate i think like not only is it a spell card so there's more ways mm-hmm. to access it easily but it's but like you only need two of them you don't like need man three of them, has, you know, like to be to useful to use the open gate you have to play the open gate quote man from that's right 20, like 2019 that on a t-shirt. um <laughs> 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 where is he that he sounds like he that's, that's just that's just vase specific <laughs> well hold on <laughs> no, wait for it <laughs> wait for it it's even better because i want that quote but then you know uh, there's the the three wolves howling at the moon i want three 
man from Langs in different poses <laughs> along with that. And I think, I think that will be the new bestseller. It will go viral, kind of like that coronavirus. Wow. Um, hey, so we also have, and I, I don't know, I don't think you might touch on this, but the practice makes perfect card. It seems a little gimmicky, but I also think it's kind of neat. Uh, it's a, a one-cost event for seekers, willpower, intelligence, uh, fast play during your during skill test at your location. Search the top nine cards of your deck for a practice skill. Committed to this test, obviously you have to put you have to put practice skills in your uh, deck. Uh, shuffle the remaining cards back into your deck after this test ends. If it was successful, add that skill to your hand instead of discarding it. So you're going to be able to seed your deck with practice cards that help with the test that you want to help with. Plus, then you get that card to use afterwards, and it's a fast action, so you can do it, obviously, as a response. It's kind of fun. I kind of want to play around with that. I think cards are kind of neat. Yeah, uh, it's it's interesting. Roland, Roland, Joe, and Mark like this quite a bit if you look at yep. the Roland, mark and joe decks that are out there they play a ton of practiced skill cards so something like this fits in very nicely with with what they're trying to do mm-hmm. and it's got the search top nine for for mandy of course oh yeah yeah could you imagine like mandy and mark together and mark plays this and gets like a vicious blow and a home front or something off of this Ugh. yeah and it features Ugh. your girl there uh Nate, so. uh, yeah, Kate Winthrop. Is that who that was? Yep. Hmm. Yeah, the first time I saw this card, I thought it was Min, but then I realized it was Kate. So mm, Good call. Yeah, Matt Newman, hurry up with that. Whoa, don't rush the genius behind Arkham, okay? Full respect. <laughs> uh, you know, it, uh, it occurs to me as I try to waste more time. Um, that, what was that? So I thought. I didn't get to talk about uh, Cthulhu Death May Die, the board game. Can I talk about that real quick? I won't Absolutely. take long because I realize that everybody else has important things to do. Um, so the board game Cthulhu Death May Die is made by Eric Lang, who is awesome. And he did uh, Rising Sun, Blood Rage, The Others, etc. A lot of mini- miniatures games. Uh, it's Eric, Eric Lang. Lang. It's also done by Rob... Di- like Plateau of Lang Lang? It's also done by uh, <laughs> Rob Davio. Rob Davio is pretty darn famous for basically creating the legacy concept of games where you know you can play a certain amount of times, but it really kicks the game up to another level of play where now when you make decisions, you rip up the one you didn't make uh, you write permanently on the board. Uh, things change over time, and they they permanently change within the game. So you've got betrayal legacy, um, Machi Koro legacy, pandemic legacy, risk legacy, etc. Well, he helped make this one with uh, Eric Lang. And if you are fans of the Cthulhu Mythos, if you're listening to this, I don't understand why you wouldn't be. Um, it is, it's absolutely awesome, bonkers fun, because in it you uh, you have different scenarios and different great models. The models are sick. I'm seeing them pop up on... Yeah, I was, I was just looking at the uh, some of the images. Yeah. I was just going to ask, Nathan, what are the, um, like, how big are the actual minis? Pretty themselves? darn big. Um, 
like traditional D&D sites for the investigators. There's also a lot of cultists, I know, shock. Um, but the the bigger miniatures, like the, the King in Yellow, is a good six, seven inches. Um, this is the same Kickstarter campaign, by the way, that came out with, oh God, I want to say a two-foot-tall Cthulhu. It's crazy big. You can find that online, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing um, that. But, it, you know, it's really flavorful because you've got a, one of the random elder gods that's being summoned. So there's always summoning portals. It you, When you do a scenario, it shows you a little map to how to set up the locations. And so they have certain ways that they can connect with each other. Um, what I think is really neat is each scenario has a flavor to it. So one of them, for example is where you're walking in on a group of thespians under the direction of some cultists and they are all practicing for the king in yellow. So they are reading scripts, they are practicing lines. So if you are in a location or adjoining location to an actor, as they are reading scripts from the play, that'll cause you to start going insane. So one of the actions you can do, which sucks away time, but it's fun, is you can tell them to go take five or take a break, and so they stop reading their lines. Uh, you know, hey, why don't you shut that mad talk off for a little bit? Because uh, I got some business to do. Um, but each character has special skills, uh, like shooting, running, taking extra actions, etc. In addition, you are all you all have kind of a sanity track, and as you take sanity loss you actually start getting more powerful. Uh, so you're riding that fine line of you want to ramp your sanity loss to get skills, but then you want to put the brakes on so you don't go too too insane too quick. Uh, and then one other thing that I really like about this particular iteration of a uh, Cthulhu board game is that when you run across an item, let's say you run across um, a prop from a from a show, if you're doing that theater scenario, and it will say on the card, you can either tuck it on the right side of your board to keep this ability or item, or you can tuck it in on the other side of your board to gain this one. Sometimes it's a, a negative thing, like if you if you have enough stress, you can take a little stress and do this and get the better item. And sometimes it's just they're both good. Which one do you want? Um, I found it to be quite fun. And with the Kickstarter bonuses and stuff that's still coming out, there's a lot more scenarios and, and great old ones that can still see the murky light of day. So anyway, if any of you out there are thinking about checking it out, I do recommend it. Uh, Cthulhu, Death May Die is fun. It looks sweet. The minis look awesome. Um, I'm curious, Nathan, I want to ask you real quick. What um, A lot of what you said kind of sounds similar to Arkham Horror, the, the board game. So I'm curious, like, what what makes Cthulhu Death May Die different from Arkham 2nd or 3rd edition? Good question. By the time you get done setting up Arkham Horror, the board game, you will have finished a play session of Cthulhu Death May Die. Well, that's a, that's a good difference. No, it, it doesn't take that long. It's pretty intuitive setup. It plays in, like, 30 minutes to an hour. It's, it's not too heavy. Action compression, I like it a lot. Um, and there's nothing wrong with Arkham Horror, the board game. I'm just currently jonesing on this. So. 
Yeah, I mean, even if you just play like Call of Cthulhu the RPG or something and you want like minis for a tabletop game, this seems like a pretty sweet resource. I know oh, people are bought yeah. Mansions of Madness just, no, for that, some, just for that purpose. There's, so. There are some creative liberties, um, artistic license that you don't quite necessarily agree with on a few of the models a little bit, but overall the quality is really well done. Well, very cool. Um, and actually, before we get into Community Spotlight, I actually have a question from a patron here. Um, while we're kind of on the uh, still kind of near Arkham Horror, the card game, uh, UC wanted to ask us, if we had to design a brand new investigator for the Arkham Horror LCG that has not yet appeared in any Arkham Files games, who would it be? Once again, not appeared. Not appeared, in case anyone missed that. What, what's the name, uh, class, occupation, and the investigator's signature gimmick, including signature cards? So this is kind of a, uh, a deep question to kind of quickly go over. Um, you know what? It's actually a question that I want to table because it's, there's a lot to think about. But I think it's also a question we can extend to our listeners so that way they could maybe write in with their ideas and we can pick one for a future episode to give them a prize. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, so, yeah, let's do that. Um, so, yeah, listeners, um, if you had to design a brand-new investigator for the Arkham LCG that has not not yet appeared in any Arkham Files games, who would it be, and what is their name, class, occupation, and kind of give us a general idea of what the investigator is trying to do gameplay Yeah, wise. extra points for theme, points for, you know, good combo machination, good points for the, the weakness so there's definitely some areas you can shine. Uh, also, keep in, keep in mind the time period. <laughs> if you can. If you mm-hmm. can. That's a really cool question. I, I can't wait to see what other people send in. Yeah, we kind of did something like this in a previous episode. I had, uh, I designed a Kate Winthrop, but she's already uh, an Arkham Files character, so so I don't want to uh, retread that water. But, uh, but yeah, let's... Uh, yeah, like Nathan said, let's table that to to our listeners and see what they come up with. Just just one second. Um, to the other people here in the channel, I don't want to retread that water. Is that an expression that I've just never heard before? Or is that some bullshit coming out of the East Coast? You know, like you tread water? No, no, no. The phrase, I don't want to retread that water. I just, is it... Whatever, Nathan. Is it actually an expression or... No, it's just something that rolled <laughs> off the tip of my tongue. It's fine. Don't worry okay, about so it. Okay, so you say... Retread. Okay, now <laughs> Why are we going into this for so long? <laughs> <laughs> and then he wonders why I cut stuff out. You don't cut enough out, Leo. Um, fun fact for our listeners: for my first informal trivia question, how many times this episode did Nate, lost in time and space, say blah blah blah? Man from Lang, what do you think? Because there is a certain number, and I have been keeping track. Wow. Man from Lang, do you uh, do you want to put forth a guess? I think it's two. <laughs> uh, no, it's not. But that was actually no, that was actually <laughs> a good guess. And I like you stepping up to the plate to answer it. Um, somebody else could have rudely re- jumped in with the answer, but you but they respected, I guess, me saying Man from Lang. It would be three. And uh, for the people listening. Uh, go ahead and fact check. I don't. I don't think anyone's actually going to do that. But if they do, I mean, kudos to if them. If they do, they can write into um, uh, was it Carol Fern the Botanist at gmail dot com. Carolyn Fern the Botanist at gmail dot com. Make sure you write into. That's also that. where you can send your uh, your investigator ideas. And since I've got a uh, 
Since I've got this cool piece of artwork here, I think I'll go ahead and give that away as the uh, as the prize for this. So I have a art print, and I'm not quite sure of the dimensions, but it's of the Rise to the Occasion art Ooh. that I, I, I picked up back in August. Uh, Clark Huggins, the, the artist for it, uh, had a had a little chat with him. He's done other art pieces for FFG, and he he has done some some other art pieces for uh, for the Arkham Files as well. But I, I particularly like the Rise to the Occasion art. So so send us your uh, send us your investigators, and uh, hopefully you'll win a sweet art print. But uh, Nathan, let's go ahead and move into the community spotlight. What do you got? Community you spotlight. Got community spotlight. Spotlight on the community. Uh, you can cut that out if you want. So, <clears throat> for the community spotlight, I have both trivia and I also have um, a shout-out I'd like to do. I do want to start mentioning members of the community that have stepped up and really added a lot to the game. Um, this time I want to add... My wife just gave me the loser sign <laughs> as she's about to go out the door and go running. Uh, she didn't think I would shame her like that. I will totally shame her like that. Um... So, uh, I do want to spotlight people, and I do want to spotlight, in this case, Andresia Garnier out of uh, Canada. She runs the Momo Monster Co. Uh, site or web shop on Etsy. If you have not been to her site, check it out just for a moment. Um, she is just really awesome. She really cares about putting a lot of work into her art. And uh, she's also recently dabbled in um, making tokens for Wingspan. So she's multifaceted, like uh, Narlathotep, who's also multifaced. But um, she's made great player mats. She's made, uh, you know, atmospheric maps for the entire table. She's even gone the extra step, and she's got several unboxing videos of ordering physical mats. Previously, she had just sold the art so you could buy, you know, like the art for player mats for $8 or whatever for a digital download. Download that and send that into things like Ink Gaming or other sources where you could have it printed off. And, and I've been doing that and been happy with it. But she went the extra step of ordering several copies of her most popular mats and having those on hand and ready for you to order and they look phenomenal. I mean, I have people, I play the game with people all the time, and they're like, yeah, this is fun. Where did you get that mat? <laughs> it's just like I'm concealing some information from them. And I'm like, I'm not I'm not going to conceal shit from you. It's a great mat, and I'll tell you where to get it. So anyway, check them out. She's got mats for every cycle, every occasion, and uh, really fun stuff. Oh, so, trivia. <clears throat> um... Here we go, into the trivia round. Do we already play the music? Yes. <laughs> yes. You know what? Okay, I don't appreciate your attitudes right now. So, uh, for the first one... Oh, shoot. Oh, I was going to mark down... Here, I'll do it with my phone. I was going to mark down people's points so I didn't let um, bass just win uh, arbitrarily. And play more music while I do this doing Matt Newman this week or are we skipping him? Oh, that game was rigged. <laughs> Man, he really pulled it out. Like, I did not expect him to know his own vehicle like that. That was really good. Okay, wow. here we go. 
Kleptomania, the weakness, multiplayer only, has uh, two categories under the, the basic weakness. What are those categories? Uh, nope. Um, yes. Illicit and fortune. Those both perfectly make sense. They could have been that. Unfortunately, they're not. I know it's probably got a madness trait. Is that your final answer? You're gonna say another thing. Uh, madness and um, I don't know. I don't know what the other could be. Nate. Uh, I'm gonna say curse and blunder. Well, I'm not gonna give any points for this, but Vase was closest. Uh, madness and talent, because talent. you know, kleptomania. But I do like the whole listen fortune. That makes sense too. Fortune Good job. So, been, so far, we're at zero. Would have been weird. I'm sorry. Then it, it wouldn't be able to go into uh, what's his name's name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just don't know. All right, next one. Uh, MK1 grenades. What's in the picture? A grenade. Two grenades. grenades. With barbed wire as well. Boom. Point for base. Yeah. I was really looking for barbed wire because the grenade was the given, but good good jump on it. I like the uh, the timing. We also have um, an investigator with the quote, When I find that beast, I'll put it down for good. Who is that? Tony Morgan. Boom. Oh. I knew you'd get it for some reason. I was going to say the old guy. And I think the old guy. <laughs> I think I knew he would get it because I watched his bar for most of my jokes and uh, it did not move, so I knew he'd be on top of the, the bounty hunter. Um, speaking of uh, quotes on cards, here we go with a official quote from one of my favorite cards that I've never played. Here we go. Never lose sight of what's really important. What card is that? that you've never played. One could argue it's a permanent. Relic Hunter? Makes sense. But no. Not my final answer. Oh, hold on. I've got the people at wootshirt.com getting back to me about that uh, three-man-from-lang image along with the quote... Uh, that's a decent <laughs> price for a custom shirt. Uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, do we give up? I feel like it's that seeker card. It is not. That, uh, another day, another dollar uh, was the card. So far, vase one, lang one. Yeah, I would have never guessed that. Vase one? Yes. Belly of the Beast. Belly of the Beast, uh, the Gambit Trick Survivor card, has what in the picture in addition to the cultist screaming? What? Belly of the... I thought it was a guy hiding behind a desk. Am I wrong on the card? You're thinking of drawing thin. Oh, shit. Nike, sorry. He's carrying some sort of smoking vial, I thought. I thought it was a knife. There's a tentacle creature. I'm just guessing. You're still thinking of drawing thin. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not that one. It's the one where he's got blood on his face. Oh, 
Um, so, Belly of the Beast, there's a uh, cultist who's screaming with his fists clenched, and on the ground, there are what appear to be uh, manacles bolted to the wall with blood, and tentacles? they are broken. Someone has escaped. So, I would have gone with chains, shackles, uh, you could even have said blood, I probably would have given you a point on that one. That was tricky, don't worry, I get it. Someone out there might have known. Here's a fun one. What we're going to do for this next question is we're going to bid, and you got to put your money where your mouth is. I have in front of me four strange solution um, advanced formulas, so what you kind of go into. Um, I want to see if you can name how many of them you can name. Bidding starts at one. Whoever bids the highest has to also say the number. So does anyone want to beat one? I'm going for one. Can anyone do more than one? No one can name more than one advanced strange solution. I know I can name okay, two. Okay, so you're saying two. Anybody else go higher than two? No, no, I don't think so. Okay, we don't no, use any of base. the other ones. So two, go for it. Empowering elixir and acidic ichor. Boom. Point. Oh, Good job. See, that one was tricky because you could get you could get the um, the go-ahead to say the answers, but you had to also put your money where your mouth is. Restorative concoction and freezing variant were the other really? two. Good try. Got it. Got another one for you. Investigator, I will journey to the lands beyond. I do not fear them. Luke Robinson Luke, the, is who I thought you would say. The the old guy. What the fuck? Who is this old guy? Is it a botanist that I don't know about? <laughs> Norman, Norman Withers. Withers? Everybody done guessing? Yeah. It is Akechi Onolith. Damn, that was my second choice. I should know. I've been I know. When you said it earlier, oh I was like, oh, he's going to get this. Uh, it makes sense for him. All right. We are tied. One, one, one. <laughs> Going into the home stretch, I have three cards left. Vase, pick a number between one and three. Two. That is not the correct answer. Here we go. Arcane Studies. Upgraded two pip version. What are the icons, everybody? Willpower and intellect. Times two of two each. Two willpower and two intellect. Yeah, yeah. Man from that has it. Yeah, no, but that's what Nate said because he said times two before man started talking. Oh, it's really close. I'm going to throw that card out because it was too close. Yeah, just don't give any but points for that one. Very close. Or still Flamethrower. Two fight icons, one wild icon, costs five pips and four money. How many uses does it come into play with? Four. four. Correct. Nate, that was two a points. Damn. It's kind of karma because you kind of got the last one right. Next question. Dig deep. Your favorite, my favorite, with the inverted gorilla dog monkey thing with weird teeth uh, on the girl who's fairly composed. What is she reaching for? An it's axe. Uh, uh, shears. <laughs> oh, back to the shears comment. The shears. Nate would be proud of you. <laughs> or is it a gun? All right, so we have... An axe, shears, and gun, and it is in fact a hammer. 
So who's closest? Ah, nobody. Nobody. Unfortunately, I have bad news for everybody. We're going to give it to uh, Mr. Nate of the two-point variety. Uh, everybody else, though, good job representing each guy. Two point. points. Once again. Mm, I don't I don't have that written down on my thing, so I'm going to say you're wrong. Uh, I would also like to point out that if anybody um, liked any of those questions, has the ability to type, has a thought in their head, really wants to test face, please write to uh, Carol Fern the Botanist Carol at gmail.com. That's what I literally just said. Carolyn Fern, the botanist, at gmail.com. He says no one's written it yet, and we're kind of waiting for someone to do so. I check both it Both with day. ideas for the investigators and because I want to flood his inbox. So, there's that. <laughs> Blood to and the that's, face. Uh, I did get one email the there, and it was from, from Nate, and he's like, you actually did it. <laughs> <laughs> I had to make sure it was real. Right? I said that to, to my wife on our honeymoon, and uh, I had to actually go sleep on the couch. So, too soon, too soon. Alrighty, well, that's going to do it for today's episode. If, As always, if you want to check us out on social media, we are on Twitter at Great Old One Game. We are on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Great Old Ones Gaming. We also have a Discord server, which will be linked in the show notes of this episode, along with all the other topics discussed in today's episode. I've been your host, Nate, lost in time and space, and today I was joined with... I'm Man from Lang, host of the Whisper in Darkness YouTube channel. And the Mythos Busters say that I'm the Twisted Tentacle Keeper. Is that what they call that's you? Right. That's what they call <laughs> like Yeah, Scott, they always fuck up Mace's name. Whoa, so whoa, F-bomb at the ending. Also, you said joined with, so it sounded more like a conglomeration of corporeal bodies. And this has been Nathan from uh, Guardian Games slash Instagram Arkham Horror Images of Madness. You can get a hold of me by emailing jadeforest4 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear about you and what you think about uh, all the comments we've been saying on the show. Are you the Jester of the Abyss and the Strudel you know competitor what? still? Okay. Yeah, I am, but I didn't want to make it all about me, Nate. Can you just let it go? <laughs> it's got more titles than Daenerys Targaryen. I don't even watch The Witcher. Okay. No, I do. I totally do. It's that's exactly where that's Toss a coin to that shit. All right. We out. <laughs>